Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hello. And we are continuing our retrospective of the career of Denny O'Neill, legendary comics writer for DC, uh, with the third character, or yeah, the third character that he was tasked with reinvigorating. And that would be The Question. Uh, for this episode, we looked at the first four issues of the 1986 Question series, as well as the Question Returns, which I forgot what year that was published. 90-something. Uh, yeah, it was... <laughs> Uh, 1996. 1996. So, ten years later, he reinvented the character again. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess that, like, his run on the question lasted, um, X amount of issues and then was rebooted and they kept the numbering. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And the question returns was kind of like the capstone of that series. And we didn't get to see the character again until 52, I think. And then there was right. a, a, a new question series after that. Right. And I think that the, the character in 52 was a lot different than this Denny O'Neill character. Uh, kind of, sort of. Um, I think the question returns laid the groundwork. For what that character would become. But uh, Denny O'Neill didn't end up having anything to do with it after that. I think he was retired after that point. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when he, he stopped being Denny O'Neill. Well, he never stopped being Denny O'Neill. But he just, Denny O'Neill without a job, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and this, the question series um, was penciled by uh, Dennis Cowan 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 who um, later on went to co-found Milestone yep a little bit of background on the character of the question Uh, that was it was a character originally created by another legend Steve Ditko uh, Denny O'Neill's exact opposite. Yeah, he's like the anti-Denny O'Neill, or maybe O'Neill's the anti-Dicko. Um, yeah, and a lot of Ditko's political beliefs uh, made their way into the characterization of Vic Sage, the question. Uh, he was uh, was an objectivist, big fan of Ayn Rand. And he used the character of the question as kind of a mouthpiece, taking over from his original objectivist character, Mr. A, who was kind of a bullshit character. <laughs> uh, the irony of 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 uh, Dicko being an objectivist is, and co-creating Spider-Man is just an endless source of mirth to me. Uh, the whole great power, well, great responsibility thing. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing where like he decides to be a selfish prick and let the the um, guy robbing the box office receipts mm-hmm. get away because it ain't his problem, and the guy ends up killing Uncle Ben, which is the exact opposite of 
<laughs> of like what you know the lesson learned there is the exact opposite of what the lessons that Ayn Rand teaches me. Right. So it's just it's just kind of funny. I almost like see him like biting the bullet and drawing it because Stan Lee was just like <laughs> I'm telling you, I gotta draw it. Yep. Or now maybe Kirby maybe Jack Kirby threatened to kick the shit out of him or something. Ayn Rand, that sounds like Nazi shit. You know what I you know what I like to do with Nazis? Um yeah, I the the water cooler talk at Marvel Comics in those days had to have been something. Yeah. We discussed a little bit we about um O'Neill taking on Green Arrow and Green Lantern and how he changed those characters. Um and he's most famous, of course for reinvigorating the character of Batman and taking it back to kind of that gothic mystery sort of feel. Um, what O'Neill did with the question was not reboot the character. The question, at, in the opening pages of issue one, is the same character that Steve Ditko created. And by the end of that issue, he is beaten half to death, shot in the head, and thrown into a, a freezing river. <laughs> beaten half to death by, in the, by the same panel. Mm-hmm. Repeated endless amount. Yeah, that, that was, that was a bit of a in, cheat. It bled over into the, into the next issue, too. Right, as he's, as he's remembering. <laughs> that, that goddamn panel. <laughs> yeah that was a little bit of a cheat but you know that was a cheat for the art not for the script really because you know Vic is remembering things every time now where Green Arrow Green Lantern was kind of socially conscious superheroes and Batman went back to uh, detective uh, gothic detective stuff uh, the question really goes into like full on noir. Hub City is the shittiest place on earth. Everything is corrupt here, and you know there's there's a the mayor is a drunkard, and he has his associates. He, one of them being a major uh, religious figure in the city who is just so who's actually a Satanist. And he's just like handing the mayor, keeping the mayor drunk and making all the decisions for the city. The cops are in the bad guy's pockets. It's, you know, it's, it's Hub City is kind of what everybody imagines Gotham to be like. Hub City is basically, I thought it was kind of riffing on Frank Miller, to be honest with you, because these are all elements of Frank Miller's um, cities. Like, Gotham in Dark Knight Returns, but even more so like Sin City. I saw a lot of um, Sin City mm-hmm. in in the way Hub, Hub City is designed. Right, and, and truthfully, we probably should have tried to hunt up some of those old Charleston Charlton comics as well, because truthfully, you know, the Hub City may not have been mischaracterized from Ditko's version of it either. That, that, that may be. Um, 
which is strange because it almost seems like that the uh, that this kind this level of corruption mm-hmm. couldn't exist in in an Ayn Rhine nightmare world uh, because this level of corruption is the Ayn Rhine Ayn Rand nightmare world. I mean, when you think of like the dystopias created by Ayn Rand, uh, this is what you end up getting every fucking time. Right. Right. <laughs> like Rapture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or or that city in uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Yeah. So I just don't. I, I don't. I don't know. I didn't. I've never read any of the Dicko, uh, the Question comics. So I I don't know if uh, if he was fighting this level of corruption. Um, if it was an objectivist hero, I'm sure he was fighting parasites. I and and not the uh, the entrepreneurs. <laughs> entrepreneur that's that's such a delicate way of putting what this uh this preacher man is doing uh he he basically he's a vietnam vet he saw the war and rather than questioning his faith and becoming an atheist he sees the war rejects god and decides to work uh as god's oh. servant by being a, a Satanist and, and doing and doing evil for the sake of fucking evil. Well, that like betrays Denny O'Neill's gothic roots, I think, because that is the motivation slash plot to like dozens of these old gothic stories um, where you have like corrupt monks who decided the only way to truly be enlightened is through uh, experiencing sin in its myriad forms, uh, right? So, and, and it, it's 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 funny because now it's the eighties. Now it's the late eighties. So much has passed between his like heyday as um, you know the writer of Batman or you know Green Lantern, Green Arrow, mm-hmm. just in terms of of what comics do. Um, you know, a revolution that he started, and he's still mining these old like just war horse stories for, for, you know, inspiration. So you get something iconic and it isn't, um, you know, he's, this guy's basically, you know, what you think, when you think of a Templar, that's what this guy is. Yeah. Um, also one of the things that he, he he does really well is that, uh, Vic Sage is, you know, the Batman stories had an omniscient narrator talking to us most of the time. Um, same with Green Lantern, Green Arrow. In the Question comics, Vic Sage is the narrator as well. And, and he's got that whole hard-boiled uh, kind of... You know, we mentioned um, Hammett and... Uh, I've done, blanked on it again. <laughs> right, Philip Marlowe. Shit, those old detective stories. Those old detective stories, the old noir films, things like that. And the question is right at home with those types of guys. He has no fancy gadgets. 
He's just a guy in a trench coat with a mask that covers, that makes him look like he has no face. And he just does the detective work and then he goes in and starts punching people. You're, the name you're looking for is Raymond Chandler. Thank you. I keep, I don't know why I keep forgetting Raymond Chandler. Because he's fantastic. Anyway. But it does, uh, it has that kind of Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett kind of vibe going on, which in some cases can be a stand out a little bit more in relief when in later issues, everything is so 80s looking. (laughs) I think everything is very 80s looking in the whole thing. I mean, the ones we read, um, you know, there's a lot of mullets. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely got that, like that Sandman, um, Hell, Hell Blazer kind of look to the art. Yeah, that early Vertigo type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily a big fan of that style, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but it, de- it definitely is. It's an 80s comic. And I want to know what is it about the 80s and having every character have red hair uh the ink was cheap <laughs> that must be it because everybody has red hair uh to the point where it's like really fucking annoying <laughs> right right and uh, because there aren't that many redheads in fucking boston mm-hmm. as there are in in this comic book and the the main protagonist fix age and the the main heavy of the bad guys, similar builds, similar hair, everything. And they both have red hair. They both look almost exactly the same. And you're looking at them going, All right, who's, the only way you can tell is one is wearing a wife beater. Mm. And one is wearing a... No, uh, the other one has no face. A, a trench coat. <laughs> well, Vic Sage, not when he's the question. Obviously, when he has no face, I can tell who's right. who. Right. Now, Vic Sage is an investigative reporter on television, which is which is a really interesting way to go for a superhero. Uh, you don't have too many television folks uh, in there, and it's and it's interesting because he wears the faceless mask because he's on fucking television. Well, here he wouldn't wear the of, mask at all. Well, yeah. it's kind of funny. It's it's almost. Uh, Denny O'Neill trope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when he took over Superman is when Superman became an on-air television uh, reporter for uh, uh, for uh, GCBS or GGBS or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Denny O'Neill did that. And Denny O'Neill's character, the Creeper, <laughs> was Jack Ryder. A television reporter. Was he a television? I've seen a couple versions where he's also a radio guy, too. So, um, yeah. So, it's like Denny O'Neill likes his television reporters slash superheroes. Well, I I suppose it makes sense. I mean, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, newspapers were it. And, And television reporting really, you know, was kind of a novelty, you know, up until the 70s. And then by the time you had the 80s, 86, you had CNN and shit like that. Um, right. 
So you had the 24-hour news cycle and you had the investigate. You had Geraldo Rivera, you know, kicking down people's doors with cameras and stuff. Yes. You know, finding empty vaults of treasure and shit like that. Yes, so he was I, definitely a, in, in the, the vein of, um, like, 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was like or the night, local or news. Nightline. Right. Yeah. Or Nightline. You know, like, seven investigates. Right. Right. Like Vic, Vic Sage would be the guy on To Catch a Predator. Vic Sage's consumer corner. <laughs> right. That's that's not definitely not something he would do. It's always like mayoral corruption, corruption right, in the police he, department. Because... Because, you know, he's an Ayn Rand, he's an objectivist, so he would never do the consumer. <laughs> right. That's right. It's not, it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, this Buy guy <laughs> sold, you a, sold you a faulty seatbelt car. No, we're not investigating that. I want to know why money has been diverted from fucking school buses. Where did that money go? And where the fuck is the mayor? He asked that question a lot because the mayor's just holed up in his mansion drunk off his ass the entire time. Yeah, I mean, the mayor's like taken straight out of a spaghetti western. Yeah. So, he's investigating the mayor. He, so, they get the drop on him. Uh, Lady Shiva is also there. Uh, she yes. is a... She's mainly a Batman villainess. Is she not... Um, I think she had become a Batman villainess, but I don't, don't think she started that way. Right. Um, but at, at this point, I think she was generally associated with Batman because it was this 87. So, yeah. So uh, this is probably right around the time where she trained uh, Tim Drake mm-hmm. to be Robin. Right. Now... Lady Shiva is also presented as kind of she's she's a villain, but she's a mercenary type of villain. She she's hired, but she works under her own code. Yeah, she almost has like a, she's almost like a samurai esque, mm-hmm. where very she uh, res- Ogami Ito type. Yeah, where she respects her um, her opponents. You know that you know it's just a job. I'll 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 fight you now because I'm being paid to fight you. Um, but tomorrow I'm not being paid to fight you. Right. So <laughs> Lady Shiva decides that Vic Sage has a certain quality that that she likes and decides it needs to be nurtured. So once he's shot in the head and dumped into the river, Shiva fishes him out and takes him to another like fourth tier DC character Richard Dragon the yeah. the the, the uh, DC's equivalent of uh, Shang-Chi or, or Iron Fist right well wasn't he also involved in um, he was involved in when Batman returned right mm. after after uh, Bane wasn't he one of the yeah, I think he, he was part of that as well. Retrained Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Lady Shiva definitely was. And I, yeah, I think like we get like a little bit of who's who of the uh of the Kung Fu Masters. Yeah, the martial arts <laughs> world DC universe. 
Right. Yeah, because you have you have Richard Dragon, you have Lady Shiva, you have Batman, Nightwing, Black Canary, and and Vic Sage is probably on the list of at least top fifteen. Yeah. But they have like a Cobra guy too. Yeah. Hence the reason why I said top fifteen, because you know, everybody's <laughs> If you don't, if you're not born with superpowers, you have to be in uh, a martial artist capable of competing in the Olympics. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of Bronze Tiger. Bronze Tiger, I think, is on that list as well. Of, of, of I think he's in the top five. <laughs> anyway, so so the question the question is brought to Richard Dragon. Richard Dragon trains him, teaches him. Uh, Martial arts also teaches him Zen. So, Denny O'Neill, Denny O'Neill takes that Ditko character and trains him out of um his objectivism. Yes, <laughs> we, we will we will cure your objectivism with Zen Buddhism, mm-hmm. but not like real Zen Buddhism, Hollywood Zen Buddhism. Not even Hollywood Zen Buddhism; it's DC Comics Zen Buddhism. Right, <laughs> right. It's 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 Zen Buddhism without even actually saying it is. But you can right. tell that's what it's meant to be. Yes, because he meditates. Right, and so and he does uh, yoga apparently. Yes, because that's you know obviously that is the the hallmark. And Vic Sage is kind of a wise ass. You know, he's he's hurling insults left and right at Richard Dragon. You know, and, and it and the first I think it's the second issue deals with a lot of his training and it is your typical eighties martial arts movie. Yes. <laughs> you you can hear to the best <laughs> in the background. Right, while he's punching, punching bags and shit like yes. that. Yes, waxing on, waxing off the whole, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. And Lady Shiva comes along at the end of his training and decides that uh, it's time for a test. And he's gotten a lot better. He's able to actually hold his own against Lady Shiva, even though she's still kind of handing him his ass. He just keeps coming. And that well, that really impresses Lady Shiva. He's like, you're yes. you have it's not that your skill is impressive, it's your determination. And that's right. that's what that's what the quality um we want out of you is. Well it's that and, and I don't think he's going up against um any more Lady Shiva level opponents. <laughs> oh, before Lady Shiva takes him to Richard Dragon, though, uh, he's laying in bed recuperating, and who shows up but Batman to tell him, Yeah. Get out of it! Get your ass out of the bed! It's kind of like hallucination Batman. Right. They don't really even tell us whether or not it's it's a hallucination or if it's real. Right. It, it, it's kind of one of those, um, I guess, marketing things that they used to do way back a long time ago is they'd stick a, a hero in there for a couple of panels, a popular hero, 
to uh, boost sales of a of a comic. Right, and and so oh well, you know this guy must be pretty cool because he has the Batman seal of approval. Because he knows Batman, right? Yeah, uh, I, that used to piss me off to no end <laughs> back in the day when they would do that. You know, I don't mind like reading the Fantastic Four and seeing Spider Man swinging in the background. Right, that's cool. But when you're reading a a Namor comic, right? Who knows why you're reading a Namor comic? But you're reading a Namor comic, and um, you know, Daredevil shows up for two panels. You're doing a good job, Namor. Thumbs yeah, up. For absolutely nothing that has nothing to do with any plot or anything like that. It's just just to have Daredevil. Oh, I didn't know you were in this alley too. <laughs> there was like a running joke at one point of how. Wolverine could be in so many places <laughs> at once and still have time for his own 30 books. Right. Well, then, then, Wolverine. Wolverine and, was popular when I was a kid. Yeah, he was. He was, he was in everything. Um, kind of like Batman now. And Deadpool. Et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, Vic completes his training, returns to Hub City, and goes right back into it without skipping a beat. Uh, of course, he's not. He doesn't go right back to work at the television station. He goes right back to work as the question, right? Because he can't figure out how um, everyone knows that the question died and Vic Sage disappeared at the same time. Uh, he also doesn't remember. Who he is. Right. Right. So he's also he's suffering from amnesia, but he has enough memories of what's going on to question um, how these two separate people disappear at the same time and then show up again at the same time. Right. Right. So at least there's lip service paid to like the reality of a secret identity. Yeah, the bad guys figure out that Vic Sage and the question are one and the same because yes. of that fact that yes. we kill the question, Vic Sage goes missing. Hmm. Two of our enemies at the same time, and, they must be the same and, guy. Actually, that's probably why everyone has an orange mullet in this comic book. <laughs> Vic Sage's identity. Yeah, it, it, it all harkens back to to Oliver Queen running for mayor. How many uh, bearded blonde public figures can there be running around one city? This is true. This is very true. <laughs> now, of course, you know it takes four issues. Four issues. It's a very tight arc, and he turns around and dismantles the operation, burns the mayor's house to the ground and, and sets up kind of a power vacuum where the city just goes into lawlessness and it deals with that for, you know, issues five, six, seven, uh, as he's trying to, you know, he's overworking himself because he's taking responsibility for it. And he's like, it has oh. become rapture. Right. It's like there's, you know, just looting and, and criminals run everything. It's 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 a Republican's like uh wet dream 
of of what happens when their authoritarian system breaks down. Right. Which brings us uh, throughout the entire series to the question returns, which we find uh, Vic retired from being the question and kind of living up the good life as a drifter and a ne'er-do-well. Uh, he's playing poker with rich guys on, on a boat somewhere downriver from Hub City. On a river. On a river. On the river. Uh, his mullet has been replaced with a 1996 grunge rocker hairdo. Yep. Um, and he's just wandering around in t-shirt and jeans. Uh, the boat starts sinking. We're, we're not exactly sure how that happened. We're... Oh, are the redhead. Oh, no, it was a blonde. Right. The blonde uh, flipped the wrong switch. Right. Toilet. Uh, yeah, she was trying to take a shower. Yeah. And Okay, yeah. It, it is just a poor joke. Right. I do have a question. What ever became of her? So... You have like this gambling situation. The, the sage gets uh, mugged by one of the guys, and the boat goes down for some reason. And there's one person left on it. It's this blonde, um, and Vic Sage takes her in the lifeboat, and they row to the to the shore. And uh, the next panel, Vic Sage is being picked up by a trucker, <laughs> or no, by the police. Right, but but she's nowhere to be found. She's just not there. Yeah, he just bounced off. That is that is like, like what the hell? Yeah, she slipped and fell into a plot hole. Yeah, I, I was like wondering what the fuck happened to her. Never to be I mean, seen again. Just like <laughs> Danny, come on, man. <laughs> she wasn't important. She wasn't important to the story because the important part of the story is that Vic Sage has to be thrown in jail. Where his the guy in the next cell over is the spirit, the emissary straight of the spirit of the river. He's straight out of a Stephen King book. Yep, sitting in the jail playing the harmonica, and of course, you know, Vic is uh, kind of skeptical. He's like, "Yeah, you're not the spirit of the river. You're not. Th- nah, you're not that." And it adds this kind of strange. Like you said, Stephen King, all this supernatural element. That well, I was talking about the magical Negro. Oh, but, but it still adds that 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 supernatural element to it that is that leaves the reader as confused as Vic is throughout the whole book. Yeah, it's weird because you like Denny O'Neill, like in the past, has like to drop these like supernatural occurrences, and you question whether. You know, did this really happen? Like in uh, Gothos Mansion, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, But in this case, it's just kind of like, huh? Why? Right. There had never been any type of hint at this kind of stuff before. Yeah. In the the questions corner of the DC universe. And, And now they have it. And throughout the book, that that encounter kind of keeps returning to him. It's like, why do I must have been hit on the head harder than I thought? I'm hearing yeah. a harmonica. 
Yeah, and they have like this uh this like little line of music that they they drew out the um the sheet music for. Mm-hmm. Um that is it's the music itself is weird because I I played it and one of the measures toward the, the things in four four time and one of the measures towards the end is in three four. Like they just forgot a dot next to a half note or something, but it's just really weird. Like it, it's, I think it's just like they, they kind of like, Oh, this is musical notation. Let's here use this. What does it mean? Who cares? It's a fucking comic book. Right. It just, it, it doesn't have any, any meaning musically. I mean, it does, you can play it kind of, mm-hmm. but it's not a familiar melody. It's, it's not even like a bluesy melody. Which is something you would ex- have expected to come from a, uh, you know, I'm assuming this is the spirit of the Mississippi River, so you would expect some some blues or something, right? Right, right, or or Porgy and Bess at you know, yeah, cheesy, which is, which is blues blues based as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't get that. It, it's just like some random square ass melody. <laughs> Comic book so, writer, uh, comic book artist writing blues songs. Yeah, well, I, don't, I think they just like they kind of just said it looks like music is good, right? Right, because who's reading this? It, it, you know, no one's thinking like in in uh, what like uh, seven, 30 years, um, some douchebag on a podcast is going to like actually try and play that music, right? Right. Right. If that if that sequence was written in the past twenty years, it would have actually been a song. And yeah, it would have, and and I get it, it. It couldn't have been a song, a familiar song, because you know then you get copyright issues, right? Licensing and shit like that. Right. So, but at least like you know, there are timeless melodies. Yeah, they're standards. It could have been dead wet indeed. I don't. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it could have been something like, "Oh, okay." And if you tried to play, you'd be like, oh, "Okay, that's like a, a blues thing." Yeah, that's <laughs> right, that sort of thing. <laughs> but it wasn't. But it wasn't. All right, and and, and really, the th- the measure of three four unmarked kind of hurt me. Yeah. And so the 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 musical notation though does serve a point in. In the narrative, in that when he hears the song, he's on yes. the right track. So it's like a yes. narrative cue for us, and it's kind of a narrative cue for Vic as he's coming back into Hub City to know that he's in the right spot. He's where he's right. supposed to be. Yes. It's it's clever. Right. It's a clever use of the medium. Just don't try and dig too deep into it. Right, and then uh, we have the Vic Sage's former paramour, Myra, has now become mayor of Hub City. Right. And was, once again, duped in the corruption. And a local mafioso uh, framed her for murder. Yeah. 
Now that probably that that might have occurred later in the run that we didn't cover, but yeah, it, it does uh, I, it does lend to the continuity since I think there is a big gap between the end yeah, of the question and this one. They imply that he had been gone, or they outright say that he had been gone for like three years, right? So you take it to that to mean. There hadn't been a question comic book in three years. Right. <laughs> right. So he brings him back. Or else why would you have this this issue in the first place? Right. And this is it's issue it's numbered as one. Number one. The question returns number one. Right. But there is no number two. No, because I think what happens is um they just then they start they pick up the story as in the regular question comic book and just continue numbering it from wherever they left off. Yeah. Because if you look at the numbering on on the comics, it says uh, the question 1986 to, uh, I want to say 2000, right? No, it right. just says 1986 to 2010. Right. Um, later on. So my guess is at tw- 27, uh, I don't know. When it happened, I'd have to actually look. But uh, it says it ran from 1986 to 2010. So, and this one was from 1996. Right. So, at some point, unless it ended, they uh, published this one and uh, nobody gave a shit. Um, and it, it didn't sell well and it didn't come back. But I'm looking at it and there's a Number 37 is um, Blackest Night. Right. Uh, it's a Blackest Night time. When did Blackest Night happen? Like in, around 2010, right? Something like that. I think there was another series that started up around 2005 that brought okay. us to uh, Renee Montoya taking up the, the mantle of the question. Well, that was... Um, yeah, that was... From uh oh, maybe they just lettered it. Maybe they just numbered it from. Quick check. Uh, so yeah, so thirty six was released in ninety, mm-hmm. right? Which is the last one before the question returns, which is ninety six, and then the one after that is two thousand ten. So that's what happened. Um, they brought the question back. Probably, uh, so 96, 96 was, when did, um, 52 happen? God, um, no idea. I've completely forgotten. Let's see. 2006. So no, they didn't bring it back just for fifty-two. I think they brought it back to see if it would it would fly again, and it didn't. So you yeah, know, this was like the experiment to see if if um, people still if people would buy the question. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they did, and I I kind of got to say I don't blame them. I know you like this character. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this character really does anything until 
his portrayal on Justice League Unlimited. And I think uh, Justice League Unlimited really contributed to a um, resurgence for the character of sorts. Uh, This was long after Blackest Night and Renee Montoya became the question that they put him in Justice League Unlimited as the Vic Sage version and uh, had him played by uh, the actor that was in Stuart Gordon movies. Yeah, yes. So I think as a as a character, I don't think there's enough there for the question or Renee Montoya to hold their own comic book. I think there's enough in there for what they actually use them for. Mm-hmm. Um, like the same as like what they do to Booster Gold, like those big things like 52 um, and Brightest Day, where they take these second, third tier characters and they make, they focus the story on them. Right. Because they're more or less expendable. Not, nobody knows like enough, the general public, I won't say nobody, doesn't know enough about their backstories. So they're, they're um, I guess their place in the DC universe is more malleable than Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Uh, so they can do things like go to um, to the whatever point, um, you know, where all time meets, the vanishing point. Right. They can do stuff like that, and it doesn't really fuck with anything. Right. Um, and and I think and that's what they use the question for in fifty two. Um, among with among with Booster Gold, um, but you don't get. The question is not a leading leading man material. Um, now, how they treated the character in Justice League Unlimited was great because they kind of they kind of took the batshit uh, crazy Dicko conspiracy theory thing and ran with that, mm-hmm. and and use it as like comedy. But because there was a batshit crazy conspiracy happening. Right, he was the perfect guy for the job. Exactly, exactly. So, and and, and it's they they do a and uh, Jeffrey Combs does a great job playing the character mm-hmm. because he doesn't play him completely straight. He plays him uh, just a little quirky. He plays him like Jeffrey Combs, right? Right, right. Just quirky enough that it, it's interesting to watch him, especially um, when he's interacting with Huntress. Yes, and then they have Huntress and and him as a foil to Canary and, and Green Arrow. Yep, the double date episode. Uh, Gail Simone yeah. wrote that. Yeah, and it works really well. And, and it's a I don't particularly care for the question as a character, but I love him in Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, he's a he's a great couple. He's he's, he's it's almost like um, like Ivy and Kite Man. <laughs> uh, you know, they're 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 a fun they're a fun couple. I like them to have together. Well, yeah, because they 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 bounce off of each other so well. Because he is weird, and 
you know, kind of all, all quirky, like, you know, it's like what, you know, look, man, I'm the conspiracy theorist. I don't see anything wrong here. Right. Uh, and, and then all the next line is, I was right. 32 flavors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is great. And, and that, that season of Justice League Unlimited was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he played all, I mean, and we got, we got kind of O'Neill's green arrow playing off of this version of the question as well. So, and that, that made for a lot of, uh, interesting situations. Whereas like Ollie's the straight man and Vic is the punchline. Yeah. So Denny O'Neill's, the question may just be suffering from the eighties. Mm-hmm. It just, it's late eighties comic book glut. And I think it was kind of suffering from it just like kind of looked like everything else. Mm-hmm. It kind of had a generic plot like everything else. There, there was nothing. It didn't have like uh, the, the Gothic broodiness of Sandman. Right. Right. Um, it didn't have like the wackiness of Doom Patrol, right? It, it, or, or you know, just the 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 mystery and um, of, of like Hellblazer. It just it didn't have any element that just made it stand out from like those other comics that looked exactly like it that were mm-hmm. going on at the same time, right? Well, it, this this particular run on the character was it was a straight-up crime book. And that was probably much to its its detriment because, you know, Vic Sage doesn't have, you know, iconic villains. No. Um, had they made it, like, wacky conspiracy, well, not even wacky conspiracies, but, like, you know, some guy getting to the bottom of a conspiracy... Like a noir not movie, mm-hmm. uh, that aspect of it would it would have been a thousand times better. I right, think. right. Um, but just as it, is, as it is, it's kind of a generic eighties crime story. Right, and and I think a lot of my I, one I like the aesthetic of the character, but uh, I think I'm like Lady Shiva, and that this character has so much potential. Right. You know, that Yeah, I'm waiting for like I haven't been able to read like Deaths of Vic Sage or anything like that. But yeah, I that it's the mystery man aesthetic. I dig it. You know, I kinda dig the uh the hard boiled detective story aspect of it. But yeah, I mean it did suffer a lot from eighties uh shoulder just, pads just, and just, just eighties. In the, in the, Right, and yeah, I think I think the character could be something great uh, as as maybe a supporting character uh, in another book or or in the supporting character in other books. Mm -hmm. But I mean, but I I think I think Vic should lead his own his own story. Yeah, but and I think it should be as as you were saying that uh, that wacky conspiracy. You know, have him like 
cross over more with Doom Patrol type of stories rather than, you know, Batman type of stories. You can actually, yes, maybe not as wacky. Right. But Like like to, to Lone they, Gunman. Remember the X-Files spinoff? Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking like you could take like something like Q, QAnon, right? Uh-huh. The wacky conspiracy that we're suffering through right now. Have a parallel. You know, obviously make it relevant to the DC universe. But, you know, have have something like that happening. And Vic's H is wading through all this crap and, and you know, separating fact from fiction and getting to the bottom of it. And have something exciting be at the bottom of it, not just some asshole in his basement. Right. The monster. monster. The the theory, the conspiracy theory is just a front for a real conspiracy. Yeah, like, you know, Illuminati shit. Right. Yeah, I mean, take that character as Justice League Unlimited portrayal. If you used the Illuminati trilogy, right, Mm -hmm. as as the spirit, the basis... For his investigations, mm. it would be, it would be a home run because that's basically what that trilogy is about. It's about the layers and layers of conspiracy out that that um, are guarding some deep secret. Right, right. Kind of kind of spin him in the Dirk Gently direction. Yeah, it, it would that would be fantastic. But just fighting some idiot crime boss, right, straight out of a uh, Frank Miller, I think, is a waste. Yeah. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The last of our Denny O'Neill look. The question. Okay. <laughs> and until next time. Keep 30 left. Points.